Hey guys, thanks for watching online. We are honored that you chose to give us this time. We have people watching from all over the world. If you're in the Middle Tennessee area, please come and be a part of one of our local campuses because your experience with church shouldn't end online. It should just begin there or be a supplement to being involved in a local community. So come uh, be a part of one of our local campuses. And, and if you live outside of our area, please contact us. You can contact us through Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, email us. Uh, we will be glad to do some research where you live and find a good healthy church to recommend to you to plug into because we want you to be involved in a community. So we hope these messages bless you. Uh, let us know if we can help you in any way. Uh, God bless you again. Thanks for watching and I look forward to seeing you really soon. Uh, we're going to go ahead and dive in, and I, we're in the book of Romans, and so we're just going to dive right into the scripture today, okay? So uh, we're going to look at Romans chapter, we're in chapter 12, which is very practical, and we're going to dive in, and we're going to go back, and I want you to look at Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, because this is the foundation of everything that Paul is going to say uh, in this chapter, and so we need to be reminded, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, so Paul is appealing to Christians, and remember, God's word's absolute, so he, he wrote to the Roman church, and we call it like a book of the Bible, but it's a letter Paul wrote to the Romans, and although he wrote it specifically to the Roman church, and we have to read it in its context, the Roman context of that day, it's absolute, which means it's good for all people, so he's writing to Rome, but he's writing to you. That's the incredible thing about God's Word. He's writing to Christians today because the principles apply to you. So I appeal to you brothers in Rome and in Middle Tennessee in 2016 by the mercies of God, because of God's mercy to present your bodies, your whole being as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, as I said, we, we looked at this a couple of weeks ago, but it's important that you are reminded uh, because it is the springboard that Paul jumps off of into the rest of this chapter. He begins after laying 11 chapters of theology uh, here, he shifts gears and he begins to say, because of all that, because God's sovereign, because God is gracious, because because God's mercy, uh, because of the salvation that he has given you that you didn't earn or work for uh, or, or deserve but by, by the grace of God, because of that, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. In other words, don't just give Jesus your heart. Maybe you've heard it said that way. Give Jesus your heart. Don't just give him your heart. Give him everything. Offer everything to him. He owns everything, right? Give him everything. Uh, and then he says, don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In other words, the moment Jesus saves you, the Holy Spirit invades you. And he begins to take the Word of God as you read and saturate your mind with it and begins to change your mind about everything in the world. He begins to change how you think about sex. He begins to change how you think about money. He begins to change how you think about marriage and kids and relationships, church and your role in the church. He begins to change everything. And then uh, after verse 2, after laying that foundation, he begins to unravel how the changed mind results in a changed life. And, and so uh, 
He in three through eight, for example, tells us what that means for each other. He he says in one and two, because of God's mercy, give yourself completely to God. In three through eight, he says, because of God's grace, give yourself completely to each other by using your gifts, your talents, your skills, your passions, everything God has given you to serve each other. Live to serve, right? We, We challenge you to live sent, which means everything you do outside of this address. I mean, when you leave this place, you need to be living sent. You're sent out of here. You're sent by God. You're saved to be sent. You come to church. We're a sending church. We send you. We send people across the ocean. We send everyone across the street, across the neighborhood to share the gospel so that God will be worshiped and people will be saved. So live sent, but live to serve. That's what you do in this place. Right? That's God created you. Verses three through eight says he equipped you to serve the saints. And so you must be a serving Christian. And then what happens in, in nine and 10, he knows that we won't serve each other uh, unless we genuinely love each other, at least not for long. And so he explains what genuine love is and commands us because of God's grace to genuinely love each other. And that's more than a feeling. Love is not just a feeling. It's not something that you fall into and fall out of, right? It's not like a hole. It, 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 is, a, it is a commitment to be lived. It is a commandment to be obeyed. And then from 11 through the rest of the chapter, he begins machine gunning commands. I mean, just like that, bing, 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 bing. He just gives us one after another. And we could spend a week on each of these commands, actually. But what we're going to do is we're going to cover a lot of them today and then the rest of them next week so that we can wrap this chapter in our fall semester, which ends next week in Romans. And then uh, we'll be through 12 of the 16 chapters of Romans. And so today we're going to look at verses 11 through 16. And our bottom line is marks of mercy. The reason we'll call it marks of mercy is because if you're a Christian, your life should be marked by these things. Your life should be marked by, by the things that we're going to talk about today, by the commandments that we look at and the commandments that we talk about, okay? And so let's look at these marks that should be a part of, of, of your life if you're a believer. Uh, beginning in verse 11, he says, do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Three bang, bang commands. We're going to look at three words, slothful, fervent, and serve. What do those mean? Three commands, just bang, bang, bang. So what should mark your life first? You shouldn't be slothful in zeal. Slothful, the word, means lazy. It means lazy. It's the same word Jesus used in Matthew chapter 25 when he talked about the lazy servant whose master entrusted him with a certain amount of money, rather than investing his master's money, he buried it because he was too lazy to do the work. And then uh, uh, when his master returned, you know, he was chastised for it because he put his own convenience above his master's purpose. And that's what it is to be lazy, to take the things that God has given us and, and bury them, not really use them. This is an appropriate word because churches all over the world are full of lazy Christians, to be quite honest. Lazy, let me give you some statistics, right, just that, that helps understand maybe uh, why we say there's lazy Christians. Did you know that about 20% of the people in most churches do most of the work? Uh, that means most Christians uh, come in 
Eat, uh, get up, walk the tab. Really don't do anything. Did you know that less than 3% of Christians tithe or give? Did you know that less than 5% of Christians share their faith, the gospel, with anyone? I mean, folks, we're lazy in our uh, – I'm not just talking about this church. I'm talking about in general. Uh, there's a lot of lazy Christians that are not slothful. I mean, they're very slothful in zeal. Paul says don't be slothful. Uh, but uh, many Christians don't serve. Uh, they're lazy in service, lazy in giving, lazy in Bible study, lazy in prayer, lazy in sharing our faith. I heard about a communist who told a Christian, if I believed what you believe, I would crawl over a field of broken glass to tell everyone I knew. You see, that's zealous, isn't it? I mean, that, that's not half-hearted commitment uh, because half-hearted commitment never inspires anyone. And so Paul said, listen, if you've been changed by Jesus, by his mercy, by his grace, I challenge you to not be lazy Christian. Don't be slothful in zeal. And in, in Matthew 11, uh, Jesus talked about since the days of John the Baptist, the kingdom of God has suffered violence. But here's what he said, and the violent take it by storm. Man, that, that's not describing lazy Christians. That's describing those who are all in, laying it all on the line. Right? And remember in Revelation, John's writing about a vision he has of heaven. And Jesus talks about uh, Christians who are lazy. He, he, he said, I'd rather for you to be hot or cold, but not lukewarm. Now, now think about that. We would think that at least lukewarm Christians are lukewarm. Jesus said, I don't, I'd rather for you to be cold, not even in the game than to be a lukewarm Christian. He said it so strongly, he said, if you're a lukewarm, lazy Christian, you make me want to throw up in my mouth a little bit. I mean, that's, that's what he said, you make me want to spit you out of my mouth. You want to, no, go read it, it's in Revelation, I didn't say it, Jesus said, you make me want to spit you. And the terminology there is, you just make me, make me sick. That's what Jesus is saying in Revelation about lazy, lukewarm Christians. So the question is, are you slothful in zeal? Are you lazy in zeal? Are, are you a lazy Christian? Are you an involved Christian? Uh, that's a mark of mercy, that, that you're laying it on the line. And then he says, uh, be fervent in spirit. Now, that word fervent is the word, it means to boil, to boil. So what he's saying is not be lazy. Instead, you should burn with passion for the glory of God. You should burn with passion to see people saved and God worshiped. I mean, you see, if you burn with passion, if you're fervent in spirit, then, man, you, you, we won't have to challenge you to live sin. We'll have to slow you down. We won't have to say, hey, we need people to live to serve. We'll have to come to you and say, hey, you need to back down a little bit. You're just, man, you're going to kill yourself. That, that, that's, that's, that's the problem that pastors and church staffs all across the country should have is not trying to get people to serve or give or, 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 or go or evangelize. It should be, man, you, you got to slow down a little bit. Think about the world and what would happen for the kingdom if, if we would have to say, slow down, slow down. You're, you're going too far. You're going too, high. You're going too fast and furious, right? And so, 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 so think about that. And so Jim Elliott, he was martyred in Ecuador when he was 28 years old. He had such a passion for the glory of God, he determined to take the gospel to the fierce Aka Indians. And people tried to talk him out of it. People tried to say, hey, look, you, you don't, 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 don't go. They're mean. They kill Christians. And he said, I, I can't not go because God's called me and they don't know him. And he went and they speared him and killed him. He was a martyr. He wrote in his diary. He wrote and he said, wherever you are, be all there. Live every moment to the hilt that you believe to be the will of God. He was fervent in spirit. He wasn't slothful in zeal. 
Jonathan Edwards, one of the greatest pastors, preachers the world has ever known. Read anything you can about Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards, he wrote a book called 70 Resolutions. And in that, he said, I resolve to live with all my might while I might live. Listen, folks, these two gentlemen marked the world in an amazing way, right? And it wasn't because they were superiorly, they didn't have a superior intellect. It wasn't because that they, they, you know, were smarter or they could articulate the gospel better than anyone else. It was simply because they were all in. They were not lazy Christians. They were not slothful in zeal, right? And it was because that they had a passion that burned hot for, for the glory of God, for people to be saved, That mark should be a part of your life if you're a believer. And then he said to serve the Lord. Serve the Lord. Now, you know why I believe a lot of people don't serve the Lord? You know why I believe a a lot of people are not fervent in zeal? Why there's there's a a lot of people who are uh, lazy? I, I think so many people are afraid of being seen as a fanatic. Man, they may see me as a fanatic. I, I would submit to you that if you're not a fanatic, something is wrong. I mean, now you look at that guy at the Titans game, right? I mean, man, it doesn't matter. We, we, we hadn't won a home game in however long, and, and you got the tit- guy sitting on the front row, and he's got his face painted a flame on his head. He's got the jersey on. He's screaming. And you know half people say, that dude's a little cray-cray. He's got a little cray-cray in him, right? But let me tell you this. There's not a single soul that questions his love for the Titans. You know what? If you're a Christian, the world ought to think you're a little cray-cray. I'm not kidding you. The world ought to think that there's something a little crazy about you if you're a Christian. But no one should question your passion for Jesus. And he says, serve the Lord. And, and, and uh, serve the Lord, the word serve is the Greek word for enslaved. It's the Greek word for enslaved. Now, this is so important that we don't miss this. Because you see, many of us think serving is volunteering. And, 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 and folks, uh, uh, enslaved. Now, think about this. Jesus bought you from the slave market. Paul said you've been bought with a price. You're no longer your own. So Jesus bought you, and he didn't buy you so that you would then be set free to do whatever you wanted to do. Man, I'm, I'm not in sin anymore. I can do what He bought you and set you free from sin And now he owns you. You're his slave. You're enslaved. It's a bond servant. You're you're a bond slave to Jesus, right? Now, there's a fundamental difference between volunteering and slavery, right? I mean, a volunteer serves if they want to. If they don't want to, they don't. That's not what a slave does. A slave gets up and does a job every day, right? A volunteer can quit anytime he wants. Not a slave. Jesus owns you if you are a Christian. He redeemed you with his blood. He bought you. He owns you. Everything you are, everything you have belongs to him. Your skill or talent, your money, your kids, your marriage, your home, everything you have belongs to him to be used by you, given to you, to be used by you for his glory so that he would be worshiped and people would be saved. So Paul gives us these three bang, bang, bang commands. If you're a Christian, he says, you've been marked by mercy. The mark of mercy is the fact that you're not a lazy Christian. A mark of mercy is the fact that you're passionate about God. You're more passionate about God than you are your bank account. You're more passionate about God than you are your possessions. You're more passionate about the glory of God than than, than you are anything, any hobby, than anything. You are passionate about the glory of God. Right? You're passionate. 
and you're serving the Lord. These are marks of mercy that should be a part of every believer. And if you think that slavery sounds a little harsh, well, remember Bob Dylan. He, he's saying, you got to serve somebody. You remember that song? You got to serve somebody. Well, you are either serving Jesus or you're serving sin, but you're serving somebody. And Jesus is a much better master than sin. He's a much better master than sin. Now let's look at verse 12. He says this. Let's look at a couple, three more commands that basically revolve around one theme in this verse. Three more commands. He says rejoice in hope. Rejoice. If you're a Christian, rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be Be constant in prayer. Be devoted or constant to prayer. Now this is important because many Christians are confused when bad things happen to them. The prosperity gospel that we preach and uh, that, that we hear preached uh, a lot, and we don't preach it here, obviously, but that we hear preached in the books that we read about the prosperity gospel really confuses people because they propose that God, uh, if you have enough faith, wants you to be healthy, wealthy, and wise, and, and all those kind of things, and therefore nothing, if you're not, something is wrong because you don't have enough faith. I don't know where they get that. I mean, that's not biblical. I mean, if you look at the Bible, if you look at the Bible, uh, I mean, you look at guys like Job. If just go to the Old Testament, guys like Job. Job was the most godly man of his day. And look what happened to Job. Look what happened to Job, most godly man of his day. Look at what happened to David. David was a man after God's own heart. Man, wouldn't it be great if God himself said you were a man or a woman after God's own heart? I long for that. I want God to say, he was a man after my own heart. That's what he said about David. Let his own son try to kill him, man. He was on the run. I mean, uh, look, at, look at Daniel. Daniel, godly prophet. Holy, true, pure, didn't compromise, got thrown in a lion's den. Go in the New Testament, you got guys like John the Baptist. Jesus himself said, no one has greater ever been born than John the Baptist. Yet John the Baptist, man, he was thrown into prison and beheaded for confronting the sin of the wicked king. Paul himself one of the greatest apostles, I mean, greatest missionaries ever, church planner, extraordinaire, I mean, so much for the king. The letter we're studying right now was written by Paul. Man, he was beaten, persecuted, ran out of town, mocked, stone, left for dead on the side of the road. Jesus was sinless, sinless. And he was murdered. Listen, folks, I, if Jesus was uh, didn't have a cush life, then how, how would we think we would have a cush life? Because we're Christians, right? So life is going to hit you in the mouth sometimes because we live in a fallen world, right? I mean, because of sin, because people are sinners, uh, sometimes because of my own sin, uh, I bring it on myself, someone else's sin. Uh, if it's disease, we have disease because of sin. Anything that happens negatively, badly as a result of sin, and we live in a broken world, and so therefore life's going to hit you in the mouth. And what Paul says is, what do you do? As a Christian, you respond to those things way differently than those who don't know Jesus. He says, you have joy in those things. Paul could say that with authority because he rejoiced in prison, remember? Paul was in prison, he rejoiced. Now, how do you do that? That seems so strange. It's so unnatural. It's so not what the world does. How do you do that, right? I mean, and we can't get that if we don't understand that there's a huge difference between joy and happiness. Happiness is based on my circumstances, right? Happiness is based on what's going on around me. It's based on how I feel. I wasn't very happy last night, right? There's times when I'm not very happy. But even last night when I'm not very happy, and that's just so trivial. You know, I love football. I love to joke about football. And, man, I'm, uh, you know, I love to 
joke. I make fun of everybody, including Tennessee. I mean, man, Butch Jones can't coach a lick, but here's, here's why I can have joy, because he can't take my salvation. You've got to have perspective when you're a Tennessee fan. And, and the point in all that is this. The point of all that is whatever's happening to you. I mean, that's trivial. I mean, job-related stuff, marriage-related stuff. Here's what you know. Here's what Paul's saying. Joy is based on hope. And what's hope? Hope in the Scripture is not wishful thinking. Hope in the Scripture is confidence in God's promise. And so, therefore, you can rejoice in the good times. You can rejoice in the bad, no matter how you feel, because you know God is in control. God is sovereign. You know that, as Romans said, and that's why we went through all that theology in Romans 1 through 11, because the Scripture promises, God promises that all things work together for good of those who love the Lord and call according to his purpose. He didn't promise all things would be good, but that he was in charge, sovereign over it, and no matter what it was, if you love him, all of it's going to work together for his, his glory, and you're good. I know that. You know that. So whatever you're going through, I can have joy because I believe God. I can have joy because I know it's temporary, because this, is, uh, this is land is foreign to me, right? I'm an alien here. So you can have joy, Paul says. So you have joy in, in the midst of whatever. And then he says, be devoted to prayer. You see, the word tribulation, it comes from the word tribulum. Tribulum was an instrument used to crush flour and to crush grain. It's sort of like a millstone. And so what tribulation means here, when he says be patient in tribulation, it means that, man, you're be, you feel like you're being crushed. That, that, when, when life hits you in the mouth, you feel like you're being crushed. There's stress. There's pressure. He said be patient, have joy in that because God's in control, and be devoted or con constant in prayer. Be constant in prayer. Uh, in other words, prayer shouldn't be something we just do when we tuck our kids into bed. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. Or when we sit down to eat, God is good, great, God is good. Let, him thank, let us thank him for our food. I think that's how this goes. I hadn't said them in so long. Uh, prayer should be more than bedtime for kids, and prayer should be more than, than mealtime. Uh, prayer should permeate everything we should do. We should pray about anything and everything, especially in tribulation. In tribulation, when, when, when you feel like you're being crushed, your prayer life intensifies, doesn't it? I mean, man, I hope you have daily prayer time. You have daily quiet time. I do, but here's the thing. When, man, when you feel like you're being crushed, the intensity goes up, doesn't it? should. I hope it does. And that's good because what you're doing is you're saying, God, I know only you can handle this. I know you can handle this. You see, it changes your perspective. It reminds you who God is. That's what prayer is all about. Prayer is not about changing God. It's about changing you. And so he says, be constant in prayer. Uh, that's a mark of a believer. Are you constant in prayer? How do, you, how do you handle tribulation? How do you handle when you feel like you're being crushed? Can you have joy in that? Those are marks of, uh, of, of those who have been redeemed by Jesus. And so let's look at verse 13. He says, contribute to the needs of the saints. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Now, uh, breaking these words down again, uh, the way it's written in the Greek, contribute to the needs of the saints. The word contribute is financially. That's what he's talking about here. He's talking about it in a financial way. Uh, did you realize that I'm not going to speak, I'm going to not speak long here because we're going to talk about this uh, uh, a few weeks later. Uh, but did you know that about 15% of everything Jesus said was about money? He spoke about money more than heaven or hell combined. Those are pretty big issues. Why? Because he said money is the litmus test for our faith. What we do with it, how we handle it, right? It's the litmus test. It's one of the gods we worship. One of the two gods that we worship, two major gods. We worship a lot of gods in America, all over the world, but two of the greatest gods in America, 
two of the gods we worship the greatest, not the greatest, two of the gods we worship the greatest are money and sex. We got them so out of proportion. We're going to talk about both of those a little bit later. But, but uh, he, he says that we should be givers, that our mark of a believer is we think differently about money. We're, we don't, we're not holding on to it tight. We're not, trying, you know, we're not lovers of money. Uh, you know, money's not bad. It's not bad to have money, but we don't love it. It doesn't control us, and, and we're willing to give. Now, there's some, a lot of motivations for giving. Matter of fact, there's a, sometimes people give because of, of, of pride, right? I mean, there was a man at my church in Texas I served before I came here, and this was a long time ago, very wealthy man, very, very wealthy man in our church. Uh, and he uh, would only give to the church if he could have something named after him or if it appeared he was belling the church out, if he was the savior of the moment and people would recognize him, right? And that didn't sit well with my pastor and that was a, and taught me a lot. And, and so that was a horrible motivation for giving, horrible, pride. Some people give because they want to be prosperous, and someone's told them along the way that if you give, God's just going to pour, I mean, just dump loads of cash in your lap, you know? Now, listen, I, I think if the biblical principle is if you're faithful, God will entrust you, right? And I think faithful with the little is the money, and he will trust you with more. That means eternal value things, not just money, but, but, but if you're giving so that you can be prosperous, that's a horrible motivation. What's the motive for giving? The motive for giving is the grace of God because he gave to me. He gave to me salvation when I didn't deserve it. He gave to me Jesus when I was his enemy. That's the motive for giving, right? And so is that a mark of your life? That's a mark of a believer. That's a mark of someone who has been uh, changed by the grace of God. Then he says, seek to show hospitality. The Greek word hospitality means to be kind to strangers. It means to be kind to strangers. Now, Paul, and, that, and this was a mark of the early church. It was a huge mark because what would happen is uh, Paul, think about Paul. He's, he's a church planner. He's traveling from city to city. When he went to city to city, they didn't have embassy suites. They didn't have a roach motel, okay? So Paul needed somewhere to stay. Where would he stay? Well, Christians would take him in. You can stay with me. You can couch surf on, at my living room, right? And I mean, they were taking him in. Or think about this. As the church began to grow, Christians began to be persecuted. They were ran out of town. Matter of fact, that's how God ordained that the gospel leave Jerusalem. He knew that Christians would, would be inward because that's, that, that's, that's, we, we, we tend, have a tendency to be inward. So he, th there was persecution that came on the Christians. They scattered all over the world and they took the gospel with them, right? And when they went, where did they stay? Well, they stayed with other Christians. And so, listen, that was hospitality. And so it's, it's showing love to strangers and showing kindness to strangers and uh, specifically believers. Now, for us today, there are many ways that you might do that. Uh, you might let one of our missionaries stay in your home when they come in for furlough. You might let Christians that come from our other campuses or from somewhere else come and stay in your home. Or it might mean that you take care of a missionary who's over there who needs your help, Right? It might mean you take care of a brother of a need of someone in Brussels or Bangkok or India or somewhere else, right? But, but are we hospitable? Do we care about strangers, our brothers and our sisters that we don't know? That's a mark of a believer. Now let's look at verses uh, 14 through 16. He says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. He said it then he said it again because he knew that was just a way stretch. First, bless those who persecute you. Whoa, uh, hold on, time out, huh? Yep, bless and do not curse. That, that's the whole point of that. Then he says, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, uh, live in harmony with one another, do not be haughty, 
but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Now, Paul commands us to bless those who persecute you. Now, folks, uh, we here in America do not suffer persecution yet, okay? And, and some of you beg to differ. You'd say, now, hold on a minute. Uh, we do not suffer persecution yet. There are Christians all over the world dying hourly for the gospel. There have been several Christians that have been murdered, heads chopped off, died since you got up this morning at your breakfast and came to church. Several. That's persecution. In Nigeria, Boko Haram, which is one of the most wicked terrorist groups there is, uh, is terrorizing Christians, uh, slaughtering them, burning down churches all over Nigeria. ISIS in all over the Middle East, killing Christians, causing them to flee their families, flee their homes, run from their lives. That's persecution, right? Now, I mean, me, I mean, we don't suffer persecution. Someone running us down on Twitter or social media, that's not persecution, folks, right? I mean, uh, you might lose your job. That's not persecution. That's inconvenience, right? I mean, listen, uh, I, I told you a few weeks ago about the California kids don't get scholarships from the state if they go to a Christian school because those Christian schools are deemed as being discriminatory against homosexuality. Well, now what we're told is from California Baptist University is students who graduate from CBU because they graduate from a Christian college are finding it hard to get a job because companies are refusing or are, are not hiring known Christians, okay? So there's discrimination. It's inconvenience. You might be mocked, but I, I wouldn't call losing my job. I wouldn't call being run down on Twitter or I wouldn't call being mocked persecution in light of real persecution around the world. It wouldn't water it down like that. It's inconvenience. Okay. But either way, we will be at some point. God said we would be. All right. People persecute Christians because they hate God and Christians represent God. Jesus said, they hate me. They're going to hate you. Okay. So whether it's persecution, whether it's mocking or inconvenience, Right, a discrimination against Christians, which is the biggest discrimination in our country right now. One of the biggest discrimination is against Christian, right? And, and so, so uh, whether it's discrimination, whether it is uh, real persecution, how do you handle that? How do you handle that? Paul said you handle that differently if you're a Christian than if you were a non-Christian. How do you handle it? He said you bless those who persecute you. Now, I, that, that caused me to go, hold on, that's just not natural. That doesn't seem possible. Man, I, I, I don't want to bless someone. You, you mean, why would I bless someone who wants to harm me? Does that mean I have to be a pacifist? I mean, does that mean if someone breaks into my house and starts beating on me like I played for the University of Tennessee or something, if someone started beating me, do, do I just take it, don't respond? I mean, if someone harms my family, if someone harms my family, do I do nothing? No, I'd be less than a man if I did. And the Bible talks about that too, right? So, so what we need to understand is, he says, bless those who persecute you. Okay, now someone who breaks in my house is not a persecutor, they're a thief. Someone who tries to harm my family is not a persecutor, they're dead. I'm not going to bless them, I'm going to shoot them, okay? But those, what's, so specifically, what's he talking about? He's talking about those who persecute you because of your faith. What do you do? Well, man, think about what we do today. We know that Christians are being killed. 
I've got to be honest with you, there's something within me that wants to round up and just lower the boom on terrorists and persecutors. And I, I, don't get me wrong, we need, they need to be, it, we need justice. Justice doesn't mean we, 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 I mean, blessing them doesn't mean they get off the hook. There needs to be justice. And I'm a huge believer in justice. And so the boom does need to be lowered. But how do we handle that? Well, here's what that means. Paul said, you know, to bless those and not curse those, it means that those who, th- those who are terrorists and persecutors, that we don't want them to rot in hell. What we want them to do is be saved. That's the ultimate blessing. And so, man, what? And today, this is a real world. I mean, we see people blowing up airports in Brussels and flying planes into buildings here. And I mean, all, 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 we want justice, and we should because God's a just God. But do we stop and say, God, I pray that they would be saved. I pray that you would get so much glory for yourself by saving radical terrorists that are persecuting Christians all over the world. Do we even want that? You see, the mark of a Christian doesn't say we don't get justice. It doesn't say we don't get justice, but it says that we want them to be saved because if they're saved, God gets glory. You see, that's hard stuff, isn't it? That's hard stuff. And then he, he, uh, he tells us to, uh, to, to not only bless those who persecute you, he says to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Now, that sounds pretty simple. I mean, man, you're a believer, your heart is softened, I hope, if you're a believer. You see someone's heart hurting, it should hurt your heart. You see someone who has a death in their family and they're hurting, and man, you want to respond. You see someone who's had a crisis, you want to respond. Now, I, I want to warn you when you do, and I also want to help you with these, this moment. The, the Bible here, Paul didn't say uh, weep. He said weep with those who weep. He didn't say weep and give advice to those who weep. Okay? In other words, you, you don't have to think you got to have the right words to say. You just are there. Your presence. You weep with those who weep. We understand that. But let me tell you something. What, rejoice with those who rejoice. That's a little bit different, isn't it? I mean, you wanted that promotion, didn't you? That boy got that promotion. You wanted it. You deserved it. He didn't deserve it. He got a house. I deserve that house. I'm not going to rejoice. Listen, I, I, I know them. You're single, and you don't know how in the world that guy got that girl. Somebody will be thinking about you, about you one day. I, I, he don't deserve her. I do. It's hard to rejoice with those who, who, who rejoice. The only way we can do that is if our mind is off of ourself, if we're not self-centered, and if we genuinely love and let the Holy Spirit to change our mind. Then he says, finally, live in harmony. Don't be haughty. Associate with lowly. Don't be wise in your eyes. Now, when he talks about living in harmony, uh, we can't be ha- and live in harmony if we're haughty, right? We can't live in harmony if we're haughty. In other words, uh, uh, when, we, when, our, when, when we demand that we're taken care of. Living in harmony, by the way, doesn't mean that we all agree. It doesn't mean we all think alike, right? That's not what it means at all. I mean, you know, we're, some of us, we're never going to agree on some things. I mean, some of you are vegetarian. God bless you. I'll never go there, Okay. I mean, you'll never get me to go there. Good for you, but I'm not going there, right? I like cow too much, and so I'm not going there. We, we don't have to agree on that. We, we don't have to. It's trivial, right? I mean, you're a vegetarian, great. I like meat. It's good for both of us. More vegetables for you, more meat for me. See? I mean, it's great. See, that's what differences do. It's good. I mean, we, we live in a, we're, we're in a large church here, so we got people who, 
Man, we got people who love hymns. We got people who like rock music in, in, in church. We got people who like old-fashioned hard copy Bibles. I see some of those. Out. We got people who like digital. We got people who suits, and we got people who skinny jeans, right? I mean, all those differences are awesome because they make us so diverse and able to reach so many more people. They're awesome until they're not. And when are they not? When people get haughty. When people get haughty, and what's, what, what does it mean when people get haughty? Well, when people begin to think my preferences are more important than your preferences. I demand my preferences be met, and if my preferences aren't met, I'm going to go somewhere that gets my preferences met. No, 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 that's not what it means to live in harmony. Living in harmony means, man, you're different. God created you differently than me and, and with different passion skills, all these things, and we live in harmony because we have a common salvation for the common mission, that God be glorified and people be saved. So how can we do that? Well, we can't do that if we think too much of ourselves, if we're not wise in our own eyes. I mean, if we're wise in our own eyes, we'll never do that. If, if we're, we don't associate with the lowly, in other words, he's talking about the fact that, you know, uh, uh, we, we, we should treat the king just like the pauper, the rich just like the poor. Man, the educated just like the person who, who didn't graduate high school. Man, the world don't do that. The world is all favoritism. The world is all giving you a status based on your money or based on your education or based on your talent. That's the world. That's the culture. You see, that's natural. What's supernatural is I don't care how much talent you got, how much money you've got, how much education you've got or don't have. I'm treating you the same. Uh, it, it doesn't matter. I, I'm gonna. I, it's, I'm not. My agenda is not. Oh, to get close to you because of who you are. My agenda is, man. I, I want to serve you. That, that, that's what Paul's talking about. And we won't do that if we think too much of ourselves. We think we're too good to pick up trash. We think we're too good to, to, to associate with someone. And he said, No, don't do that. Don't do that. And so, so you know, uh, most churches aren't growing. Because they, they're full of people who care more about their preferences than God's glory and people's salvation. So we've got to lay our preferences aside and rally around the gospel. So Jay Leno was once asked, and obviously he's a comedian. So he was once asked, what's the secret to being married to the same woman for so long? Because he and his wife, I don't know if you know this, been married for years. Now, Leno's not a Christian as far as I know. I, I mean, I've never heard him. I don't know his heart, but I've never heard him even speak of that. So uh, uh, someone asked him, though, he's been married to the same woman for years. What's the secret to being married to the same woman for years? And he said, well, it, it, if you don't fool around, it's easy, right? And then uh, he's a comedian. He, he said, I think the key to life is a low self-esteem. Now, I think he's on to something here, okay? I think he's on to something. See, the culture, what he just said, he's making a joke, but there's so much truth in this joke because, you see, the culture says, oh, man, it's all about high self-esteem. We can't tell Johnny no. We can't tell Johnny he can't do anything. We can't tell Johnny, you know, we can't correct Johnny because it'll hurt Johnny's self-esteem. We got to give Johnny a trophy. Dude can't tie his shoes, but we got to give him a trophy, right? Matter of fact, Isaiah's soccer season was over yesterday, and I went to watch Jaden play, and Amy went to his party, and she come back, and Isaiah said, I didn't get a trophy. And I said, Amy, they didn't give away trophies? And she said, nope. I said, great, love that. You know, you have a trophy for playing? It's crazy. I, I don't want to get on a squirrel, so let me get back to my notes. Anyway, Leno said, <laughs> I think the key to life is a low self-esteem, he said. Believing you're not the smartest or most handsome person in the room will do you well. 
He said, all the people, this is great, all the people who have high self-esteem are criminals and actors. <laughs> so it's funny, but you know what? He's, he's hitting at a truth. And the truth is, is what he's talking about is he's talking about intellectual pride. That's what he's talking about. I mean, when you think you're better than someone else, it causes you to crash and burn in so many ways. In your marriage, which was the question posed to him, in your marriage or, or in, in, you know, in, in, in your career, uh, in your spiritual life, when you think you're better, you deserve more, people owe you something. Paul said, don't be haughty. Associate with lowly. Don't think of yourself more than you should. You see, he goes through this chapter, 11 through 16, or these verses, and he just bang, 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 bang. These are the marks of a Christian. First, are, are you lazy? Don't be a lazy Christian. Man, you go all in. Are you passionate about God's glory and people's salvation? Are, are you serving the Lord? Uh, how do you handle when tribulation hits? Is it, do you have joy in the midst of that because you trust God's promise? Or are you crushed because you're afraid that the moment uh, you're not going to get out of it what you want that's going to satisfy you in life? Or are, are you confident in God's promise? I, I mean, are, are you contributing? Are you giving? Are you generous? Are you hospitable? Are, do you think more of yourself than you should? Or you think, man, you deserve, everybody owes you. I mean, man, why are people not serving me? I, I mean, Paul says... Marks of Christianity, the marks of a believer, the marks of mercy, he begins to outline. And you know what? As I read these this week, as I prepared the message, I, I, be, I preach every message to me before I preach it to you because I need it more than you need it. Okay? None of us are perfect. He's not saying that you, if you're not doing these things in perfection, then you're not a Christian. Not at all. That would be silly. We're not, we live in a broken, fallen world. We're broken, fallen people. Then Jesus redeems us, and we spend the rest of our life being transformed into his image, right? But are the, these are marks that should be more and more evident in your life as you grow more and more to be like Jesus, which is a lifelong process. Are these marks becoming more evident in your life? Are these marks becoming more evident in your life? See, I, I love, this is the most practical chapter, more commands than any command in the Bible, in the, well, any chapter in, in the New Testament, right here. So practical. And what's it based off? What's it based off of? All the doctrine and all the theology that they talked about. He says, knowing that should radically revolutionize your life. Are you beginning to see these marks in your life? That's what we, we want to help you do. Take you where you are. That's what God, take you where you are and then help mold you into who God created you and recreated you to be. That's what the Holy Spirit's doing. It's called sanctification. And so uh, right now, Caleb, Daisy, our band's going to come back, and we're going to go into our, our, our response time. You've heard God's word, and we respond to that, okay? And we're going to respond to that by several ways. We're going to give. A mark of a Christian is, 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 is giving. We're going to give, and I, I've already given. I give uh, uh, EFT. You can give online, and you can do that recurring. You can give on our app if you're watching on, online or in here. You can give on our app. You can give old-fashioned way. I, you know, we, we don't care how you give. Just be obedient. That's a response. We're going we're gonna to sing, and as we sing, God may be, have revealed one of these marks that, that you're lacking in. I promise every one of us lack in one or more of these marks, Right? I mean, we've all got room to grow. But maybe God brought one of these and is convicting you. Maybe the Holy Spirit's convicting you about one of these, and you just need to talk to the Lord about it. Maybe you feel like I need to talk to the Lord about it. I need to talk to someone else. Come back to the next steps. We'll be glad to talk with you, pray with you, rejoice with you, weep with you, right? Maybe you want to know Jesus.
you don't know what that's about, you want to know Jesus, come back to the next steps. We'll be glad to help you know what that is. Maybe you want to be a part of our church. Whatever's on your mind, respond however God leads you to respond. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. And God, we thank you that you outline some of the marks of mercy here. We know what that mercy looks like. I pray, God, that we would not be slothful in zeal, but we would be fervent in spirit. Please help us not to be lazy. Help us to be passionate about your glory and people's salvation and help us to do everything we, we can do to go all in, to serve you in a way that, Lord, we magnify you and bless people. God, I pray that, Father, we would, when we encounter stressful, crushing things in life, that we wouldn't always be happy. God, we're not going to always be happy, but help us to always be joyful because we have confidence in you. God, I pray that we would be generous. I pray that we would be hospitable. God, I pray that, Lord, we would not be haughty, that we would not think more of ourselves than we should. Our eyes would be on you and not on us, that we would not think of ourselves more than we should, that we would not think someone owes us, that we deserve, Lord, that we would think, wow, we're blessed by your grace. We've earned nothing. God, Help us to honor you in how we love and in how we live. Help the marks of your mercy to be evident in all of our lives. In Jesus' name.